surprisingly hard to keep your balance when all those big, strong hands are kind of pushing you forward. <laughs> Thank you for that prayer. That was very meaningful. I would like to start today by telling a story from Daniel chapter 4. You can turn there if you like, just to keep me on my toes, make sure I don't miss anything. Daniel, yes, chapter 4. This is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, and it starts out, he's writing a letter to the people in his kingdom. To the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. May you prosper greatly. And he says, I want to tell you what God has done. Which is kind of an amazing thing. How mighty are His wonders. And so on. And what happened was that he was, he was at home. He was prosperous. Things were going well in the kingdom. His palace was comfy. And um, <clears throat> he had a dream. And it was terrifying. So he called in the wise men to help him understand what this dream was about. And, of course, none of them could tell him except Daniel. He told Daniel the dream. And basically it amounts to this. Um, there was a huge tree in the middle of the land. It was tall. It was wide. And it was a beautiful tree. And it was good fruit that grew on it. Lots of good fruit. There was shelter there for beasts and birds. It was just an amazing, wonderful, really good, very nice tree. But it didn't remain so. A messenger from heaven said to cut down the tree, strip off the branches and leaves. Of course, when that happened, all the birds and the animals would flee from it. Um, but the messenger said also, leave the stump in the ground. Bound with iron and bronze. Leave the stump and the roots in the ground. And it said, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him live with the animals among plants of the field or the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by him. So that was the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And he asked, Daniel, could you tell me what this means? This is very terrifying. Well, Daniel thought for a while, and it was kind of scary to him too, because it's not the sort of dream that you want to interpret to a king. Kings don't like to hear bad news. The king said, his Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, don't let your thoughts terrify you. Don't let the dream alarm you. And so Daniel had to tell him what the dream meant. Of course, he kind of reiterated the dream, talked about the tree, and he said, you king are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. And of course, you saw the messenger saying to cut down the tree, but to leave the stump in the ground. The interpretation is that you, O oh king, are going to be driven away from, from the habitation of humans. You're going to have to live with the wild animals. You're actually going to eat grass like a cow. Eat grass like a cow, you're going to be sleeping outside, so you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, seven years maybe, will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign. The command to leave the stump in the ground with its roots 
means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. So therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. And sure enough, it happened just like the dream foretold. Twelve months later, the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace and he said, <laughs> Is not this great Babylon? I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And it didn't take long. In fact, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people who will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately it happened. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. He thought he was a cow, so he ate grass, slept outside. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And at the end of the seven times, however long that was, he raised his eyes to heaven and his sanity was restored. And then he praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. And the story goes on. He was returned to His kingdom as king, and things went well again. But at the end of the chapter, it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything He does is right, and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. I'd like to talk about pride today. Just as a little bit of an illustration, I'm going to hammer a couple of nails in here. Hopefully that won't fall off. Okay, so that's one nail. Those of you who are carpenters, and I think there are many of us here in the construction trade, um, you may have heard the term for a nail when it's not driven in flush, not driven in the whole way. That's called... A proud nail. It's standing proud. It's not flush. And that's kind of what happens when, when humans are pride, proud. You, you, you stand, or you think at least, that you stand above everybody else. All the humans around you. So I'd like to talk about pride a little bit. Give us a little bit of a definition. See how pride can be manifested in our lives. Sometimes pride is obvious. Sometimes it's not so obvious. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Pride can be defined in several ways. It can be empty, braggart, talk. So, talking about yourself in ways that put you above everybody else. It can be an insolent and empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources and shamefully despises and violates divine laws and human rights. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. Do you think... He actually built that great capital. He, he, he ordered it built. Um, he talked about it as if it came from his own power and resources. And acknowledged, did not acknowledge that really his power and resources came from God. Um, despised and violated divine law, which was to, to acknowledge God. And 
human rights as well. I'm just imagining that um, all the people that worked in that city, built the palace, built the city, most of them were probably slaves, and their, their human rights were probably being violated. Um, that was Nebuchadnezzar, and he took it all and claimed, claimed the majesty himself. Pride can be a, an impious and empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things. Um, once again, that was Nebuchadnezzar. He was pretty proud of his capital city, and he just kind of assumed that it was going to keep, you know, things were going to continue on prosperous and comfortable and contented like, like he was living at that moment. It didn't last for very long. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says this, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Boasting is a really important component of this thing called pride. Love is not proud. Pride can also be defined as being arrogant, which is uh, making undue claims in an overbearing manner. That species of pride which consists in exorbitant claims of rank, dignity, estimation, or power, or which exalts the worth or importance of the person to an undue degree. It could be considered proud contempt of others, lordliness, haughtiness. That's arrogance. Another word you might hear in connection with pride is hubris. And this is defined as excessive pride, presumption, or again, arrogance. Okay? Now, pride has a number of different flavors. Um, there's a couple of different ways of looking at pride, and I wish sometimes that we would have a, a different word for the good kind of pride. As construction workers or medical workers, we often, you know, we'll finish a job. Maybe it's a roof. In my case, I install replacement windows. In Joe's case, maybe he's going to be stitching up one of the replacement window workers who got too familiar with the glass. Anyway, you finish a job, you step back, you look at it, it's good. You take pride in your work. That's okay. That's called feeling proud. It's, it's an authentic pride where you've done something, you've accomplished something. It's legitimate. Um, I just wish there was a better word for pride than in that case. Maybe satisfaction or something would, would fill the bill. But we'll call it authentic pride here today. Feeling proud tastes delicious it inspires positive behavior that's a good feeling let's go do another job let's do a good job and we can have that feeling again it's an emotion we experience when we've achieved something great authentic pride is feeling confident and competent about who you are and it encourages good things i built a house starting in 2013 i built a house i say ha just me no all six of my family put in many hours in, in helping on that house. Um, Ian and Maya were dragging brush away before we started digging. We were cutting down trees. They were dragging brush. And uh, my wife and my daughters would help me hang five-eighths inch drywall on the ceiling with a jack. Um, they were all out there helping me lay the floor. I say, I built the house. We had, a, we had a work day to do the roof. We built the house. So when I see my house, I'm proud of it. I'm, it was an accomplishment that I just would have at one time probably not thought I could have brought about. But with the help of a lot of other people, I look at it. I'm so grateful. 
It's very satisfying. I'm proud of it, but I'm very grateful to have that house. And that is, that is what we call authentic pride, I think. Romans 12, verse 3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You should think of yourself as highly as you ought to think, would be another way to say that. Because we do. We have abilities. We have things that uh, God has given us, skills and um, gifts. Um, so it's not wise to put yourself down, but to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think is, is pride. Excessive pride is different, though, than this authentic pride. Authentic pride, remember, it's satisfaction, something accomplished, a good job, well done. Excessive pride is a different thing. It can come, you, make you come across as arrogant and self-centered, and maybe that's the key here, being self-centered. Hubristic pride is another way to, to say it. It makes life unpleasant, especially for those around you. It's letting egocentrism and arrogance take over, and it encourages actually aggressive behavior because you want to compete to keep your, your higher place, your place of being proud, standing up above the rest. Arrogant people tend to score high on narcissism, which is um, kind of focusing on yourself and your achievements or your lack of achievements. Um, Teenagers, by the way, tend to be sort of arrogant. It's probably by design. It is a time when they're kind of learning to move away from their their parents and develop their own identity and skills. Um, but if you try to you know explain a job to a teenager, those of you who are bosses with teenagers on your crew, you probably know that the teenager already knows how to do this. I know I'm practically a professional at this already. You may have heard somebody say that before. Adolescents aren't really wired to listen. My dad said that uh, from the time he was 16 to the time he was 21, his dad learned an awful lot. <laughs> and maybe we've all experienced that. Um, they have all the answers, or at least they think they do. Excessive pride can make us ignorant. Because if you know it all, what more could you learn? I mean, really. And it's not fun to be with somebody that is a know-it-all. Excessive pride is an exaggerated appreciation of oneself, typically, or it often can include devaluing other people. It's often driven, unsurprisingly, by poor self-worth. Excessive pride prevents the growth of other virtues because you're, um, you're always right if you're proud. You think you're always right. You're good. And so, again, what more can you learn and how can you grow if you're, if you're so good? It prevents the growth of other virtues. C.S. Lewis wrote this, True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I like that. Don't be so self-centered. That's where we need to go. Um, I think it's in the book of Matthew. And I don't have the chapter written down here. There's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is quite a, quite a little parable here. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a 
tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I'm such a good person. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For though all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I was once watching a um, okay, Mennonite preacher saying he watched a TV show. This is a little bit embarrassing. But there was a, a TV show where it was uh, called Full Metal Jousting. Anybody ever seen that? It's History Channel. It's kind of a survival reality show where big strong men put on pieces of metal and get on big strong horses and then they gallop at each other with pointy sticks try to knock each other off the horses it was really fun to watch uh, Alvin would probably be really good at that anyway one of them was uh, he, he was you know he made sure everybody knew that he was a Christian and at one point in the show he was shown kneeling by his bed and he said God I thank you that I am not like these other men I was appalled. Did he not read his Bible? He said it just about exactly the same words as this, this Pharisee here. I thank you that I am not. Like, I'm so glad that I have character. <sighs> anyway, he probably did not go home justified. <clears throat> so let's look at some uh, ways this pride can work, come, can work itself out, how it can manifest itself in our lives. Obviously, if we think that we are better than other people, um, that, that's a good starting point. And actually, often, you know, we do have things in, that we're, we're better at than other people. Some of us are better at disc golf. Some of us are better at roofing. Um, I don't know. We, we all have skills. We are better than other people at some things. And that's okay. We have gifts given from God. We have abilities given from God. We have training. Uh, we've learned. And it's okay to be better than other people at some things. The problem comes when we want to make sure that everybody knows we're better than other people at whatever it is we're better at. Um, so that's, that's pride over those who are actually inferior in, in some aspect. There is also uh, a type of pride that happens when we can't accept that we are equal to others. Because, let's face it, we are just exactly as good at some things as other people are. Okay? And that can be a problem because we want to be better than everybody else at everything. And so that's, that's where we, we, we get very competitive. And that's, that's kind of a problem. Is maybe Depending on the culture you come from in America, we are competitive. And that's okay, at least to a certain extent. Um, but if you've ever been to a little league ball game or even a t-ball game, it's, it's, it's kind of appalling how the parents can scream at the ump or scream at their own kids for, you know, letting them down. Um, children can easily learn that recognition involves more than just the sheer joy of playing, uh, playing the sport, just, just doing it for the love of the sport. So pride over the inferior, pride... That makes you act bad when there are people that are your equals. 
What if you are actually inferior to somebody at something? Um, I was talking to a young person here recently and talking about snowboarding and wondering if they'd want to invite another young person along. Oh, no, that person's better than me. <laughs> well, that's pride. That's pride at work. Why don't I just go and enjoy the snowboarding for pity's sake? Uh, but no, that person is better than me, and that would make me feel bad. Um, I was once working at a house in Guy's Mills, John Mark Coons' place, doing some trim work, and there was a, a family came through to, to view, you know, to see what was going on at their house. And I find out that one of the young men in the group was a runner. Oh, that's cool. I'm a runner, kind of. I like to run. So we got to talk a little bit. I just, you know, feeling him out a little bit to see what, you know, how good a runner he is. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like, uh, what, what's your training pace? Oh, about seven minutes a mile. I run like maybe nine minutes a mile. Well, oh, you run 20 miles at a crowd. Oh, okay. So it turns out this is the, this is Wes Atkinson who is like an elite ultra runner. He is elite. He wins hundred mile races and sets records in them. For some reason, I just wanted to get back to work and just <laughs> forget about the fact that I was a, a runner. Um, that is, uh, you know, that, that's, that's pride showing up when you're actually inferior. I was uh, clearly his inferior. Really, I should have just been like, well, hey, we're runners. This is great. We like to run. Keeps us healthy. That's what it's all about. So on. Galatians 6, verses 3 and 4 says this. If anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. Authentic pride, satisfaction in doing something without comparing themselves to someone else. Comparing is a large part of the problem. <clears throat> pride of the sense of I. This is thinking of yourself as being perfect. And the funny thing is, it's often when um, somebody does something like break a rule, that it just makes them feel special. Um, or you've done something unique that makes you special for some reason. Um, the pride of the sense of I. <clears throat> Sometimes we are proud about the qualities or abilities that we actually don't have. Have you ever seen a little kid who just wants to be out in the center of attention, you know, two or three years old, and they get out there and they start dancing around and la, 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 being silly. They're really not doing anything at all significant, but they want to be out in the center um, and they actually think that they're doing something significant. And some of us are like those little children. That's, that's, I would say that's being childish, not childlike. Jesus said it's good to be childlike, but childish is another story. Um, sometimes we are actually, we, we try to call attention to ourselves by, by trying to do things that we really can't. Sometimes, and when I read this, it, it, this kind of hit home. This was, sometimes we are um, kind of proud of our weaknesses, actually. It's not that we're really proud of our weaknesses, but we really like to talk about our weaknesses because we like to talk about us. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon. I, I, this, is, this, is, this is one that really hit home to me. I really like, in the past, hopefully, this is the second time I'm preaching this sermon, so I hope I learned something when I talked about it the first time. Um, I like to talk about my weaknesses because that 
gets people talking about me. And, and of course, you know, maybe they would also give you a little pat on the back. Yeah, but you're really good at this thing over here. Um, it's a funny thing being human. It just is. We're, uh, well, we're all messed up to start with, and it's only through the sanctification, through the work of Jesus, that we get unmessed up. There are some people that have what's called a distorted pride. They like to talk about their non-virtues. They like to talk about how bad they are. And I ran into this when I was teaching in, uh, at Sagertown, the, public, or the high school there. Um, the teachers would talk about how bad they had been, how bad they were, and I, it was kind of an amazing thing to me because here are these, these people. They're supposed to be role models to all these students out here, and in the lunchroom... They were much worse than any of the students out there. It was, it was an amazing thing. I remember one, uh, one student teacher who had been a student at Sagertown, he, he, he was practicing his teaching. He joined us in the lunchroom and he said, man, I'm just, I'm just amazed at how you guys talk down here. He said, it's not, that I, um, it's not that I mind so much that you're talking like this. It's that you made such a big deal about us talking like that when we were students. Anyway, that's called distorted pride. It's uh, bragging about our non-virtues. The feeling of superiority when someone cheats and doesn't get caught, for example. Um, and it's the sort of thing that often catches up with, with criminals. They, they get away with it for a while, uh, start bragging a little bit, and it catches up with them. Proverbs 8.13 says this, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate evil. Pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before the fall. My daughter's boyfriend was cutting down some trees yesterday. <clears throat> He's a pretty good sawyer. And um, things were going well. And you know how you, we've all done this. Man, I, I'm just, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. Well, in that moment, you better be watching because probably the next one is not going to go so well. Sure enough, one of, uh, one of his trees got hung up and he had a really hard time getting it to go the direction that he wanted to. Pride goes before destruction. James 4 verse 6 says this, He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. <clears throat> So what do we do about this, uh, this excessive pride? What's the antidote? How can we be humble? Well, you can start by thinking a little bit about your risk factor for pride. If you're human, you're probably going to deal with pride. That's the number one risk factor for pride. We are human. We like to think that we're in control. We like to think that we know better than God often. So if you can reflect on that and just realize probably I'm dealing with pride somewhere, that's a good first step. Acknowledge the difference between feeling proud, satisfied with the job well done, or being proud, somebody that's arrogant and competitive, aggressive. You can turn your pride into a means for development. See how it manifests. Are you proud of being bad? Are you proud of being really good? Or somewhere on the spectrum in between? Excessive pride signals what we must further develop. Are you insecure about a particular aspect of yourself? 
Do you have a distorted perception of your strengths or abilities? Do you think you're better than you actually are? Do you see others as rivals? Or do you see them as, as somebody that you could work with so that both can benefit? Collaborators. All men make mistakes, and this is a quote from Sophocles. All men make mistakes, but a good man yields when he knows his course is wrong and repairs the evil. The only crime is pride. Pride keeps you from changing your ways, changing your course. Cultivate love for others. An appreciation for life and people removes the need to defeat them. There's no need to compete. If you're feeling like you're dealing with pride, reconnect yourself with what you don't know. That'll keep your ego in check. Actually, it's a lot if you start checking into that particular subject of what I don't know. Intellectual humility can help overcome our pride too. If you think you know something, if you think you know a lot about a particular topic, um, focus on something that's complicated that you have a hard time mastering. And then surround yourself with people that know a lot about that. There's a good learning possibility there. Pride is being attached to an exaggerated image of self. And we've got to let go of that dependence. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Everything you have came from someone else. Well, you can say, I worked hard and I earned that. Well, did we get born into an Amish or Mennonite family by our own choice? Did we learn our work ethic on our own? Did we keep our own health? Or did God allow us to be healthy and strong? Everything we do, know, or have is not ours to start with. Everything happened due, the, due to the efforts and kindness of, of somebody else, most likely. If you're proud of your body, your athletics, your strength, your good looks, that's a combination of the genes from your mother and your father, directed by your heavenly father. Are you proud of your pickup truck? I am. I have a 2002 Toyota Tundra with over 200,000 miles on it. There is nothing cool about this truck. It's beat up. It's a five-speed. It has a 3.4-liter V6, and it's two-wheel drive. You know why I'm proud of my truck, Joe? Shows everybody how humble I am. <laughs> now, isn't that messed up? Oh. No, the truth is I'm really grateful for that truck. It starts, it runs, I can pull trailers around, do the things I need to do. And actually it's kind of nice to have a two-wheel drive because then you don't have to work so much in the winter. <laughs> See what I'm saying though? We're, pride shows up at the most unexpected places. Um, and Dad basically gave that truck to me, by the way. So comes from comes from someone else once again everything we own or achieve is a consequence of collaboration with 
others. And everything that we have or do ultimately comes from the one who created us. We've got to keep that in mind. Pride can poison our lives. It can create an inflated version of ourselves that we must protect and defend at all costs. But really, for for God's people, there's only two options. And here it is in Luke 14, verse 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there's your choice. Humble yourself, or God will humble you. Just like He humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Remember the proud nail? Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for taking us down a notch or two or ten when we need it. Thank you for all that we have that comes from you. You're so good to us. We are so undeserving. But we are grateful. We want to be humble people that learn, that grow, that work with other people. And we want to be grateful to you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.
kind of laugh a little bit about the vehicle thing because, I mean, being honest, in America, you can pretty much get any vehicle you want on payment. So, so we can, so when we say this, you know, an SUV or whatever. Um, but uh, I was driving my minivan the other day, and I had a lot of friends say they'll never drive a minivan. <laughs> I feel a little bit proud. <laughs> I was like, you know what, I could have an SUV, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna. Then I had to catch myself. Okay.
day now as we close, I just pray that you would be with us as we um, go about the rest of our day. Prepare this food we're about to eat. Bless it to our bodies. And also bless the hands of prayer. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.